0: We come to the text this morning in this wonder of God's amazing love for us, Uh, the verse that Tim quoted just a little bit ago, the amazing thing that God should receive us into his family, that we should be called the children of God. And so that's the primary family connection we're going to remember as we read now from Mark chapter 3 in this third message about family conversations. Jesus is involved with his family. We looked at that in the Christmas messages. Now we're looking at it uh, during his adulthood. We looked at when he was 12 years old. We saw his miracle at the wedding at Cana last week. And now today, Mark chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, it will also be on the screen. I'm going to start with verse 20. All right, and this is one of those interactions with his family. And Jesus' family had some tough interactions, let me just tell you. So if you think your family's unique because you have stress and strain, it's not unique. This is common to families. Listen to this. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven of all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying... is my brother and sister and mother. So we have here one of those encounters, an intriguing encounter. We can't talk about everything in the passage, but I want to talk about the family connections for a minute. And especially starting out with the notion that he was not eating, okay? The gospel writer records that Jesus He was not eating. There were so many people in the house that he wasn't eating. He He and his disciples were not eating. It's the job of family to monitor your diet. All right? I'm sorry, kids. It's just that way. Teenagers, husbands, older people, young people, it's the job of family to monitor your diet. Families do that. That's what families do other people in your life, people at work, people in school, they're not looking over your shoulder, examining what you eat all the time. But that family, they watch your plate. And it's important. That's the most intimate connection that you have. And so families feel like they have the responsibility and invitation to intervene if you're not eating right. Now, food's a big thing in the New Testament, and I'm not going to apologize for talking about food. I am a Baptist preacher and I like food the first temptation in the Bible in fact was a food temptation it was about the fruit of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil don't eat that fruit you surely die they ate of the fruit the first temptation of our Lord after he declared his ministry was to change the stones into bread he'd been fasting for 40 days that was the first temptation so you see food played a part From the very beginning in the ministry of Jesus, in fact, last week we looked at a food miracle, the changing of water into wine. It's not the only time that people got concerned about how Jesus was eating. This time it's his nuclear family, the folks who grew up in his household, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. Mark gives us their names in Mark 6-3. These are the three brothers... Of Jesus, the half-brothers of Jesus, if you will, that grew up with him. Now, Peter, James, and John also got concerned about Jesus. They went into the village to buy food. Jesus didn't want to go with them. He said, we got to get something to eat. Jesus just opted out. He stayed by the well there in Samaria. When they came back and tried to offer him food, he said, I've got food to eat you know nothing about. And they said, what in the world? Is somebody slipping him bread or something? Where's he getting his food? And then he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I think you can see how those words match the situation in Mark chapter 3. Jesus has a food. It's to do the will of the Father. That's what his food is. And he loves doing that enough that sometimes he just goes without eating. The monitoring of diet by family Is really important. Now listen, Jesus says, Brothers and sisters are people of faith with whom we seek to do the Father's will. So if there is a true brotherhood and sisterhood in the family of faith, if we are really brothers and sisters, then we ask the tough questions. And the mother and brothers of Jesus showed up to ask, Look, what's happening here? Why aren't you eating properly? And that could be a question that brothers and sisters in the body ask. In fact, we have four feeding ministries to help us address hunger and poor nutrition in our church. And when we go out to feed the homeless, we feed them a great meal. I don't know if Miss Virginia is here. She could wave her hand if she is. She fixes 300 hot meals every Wednesday. We feed 200 uh, or so of them at the Oz and this is a picture here from Elysian Fields, where we feed about a hundred of those who are just hungry, and they need a meal. and it's a hot meal, it's a nutritious meal. I love it. I'm glad we do that. There are some of you, some of the young people, are the, uh, the older children who are in the big food closet Wednesday night, and they were packing bags, about 250 bags that we send to seven different public schools. And the school officials have identified kids who are at risk of hunger over the weekend. And when those children leave, they get a bag of food to, to nourish them over the weekend. I love that. And if you happen to have surgery or somebody comes over to your house or you're homebound and you'd like to have a meal on Wednesday night, a hot meal, and somebody come by to see you, we have community care where we take meals to those who are in our church family and those who are outside of our church family that we know about. I love the food ministries, and I think they're very important. They address a key need of the body. Jesus uttered right before he died, I'm thirsty. It's one of the last things Jesus said. Hanging on that cross, dehydrated from hours, suspended between heaven and earth, with the blood running out of his body, he said, I'm thirsty. He felt these needs. And as family members, both by blood and by faith, we speak to these needs. Now, mothers outside. Most of the time when a child's not behaving properly, the the mother's solution is food. It's like, what's wrong with Johnny? He hasn't had dinner. Why is dad so grouchy? He skipped lunch. That's why he's grouchy. And we connect food and nutrition to behavior. So we've got this second thing I want to highlight for you. Families react to strange behavior. That's what families do. Families respond to strange behavior. Not everybody's going to respond to your strange behavior. You get a little weird, maybe not, but that family will. Now, the enemies of Jesus thought he was acting strangely too, not just his family, but his enemies as well. And these fellows down in Jerusalem had heard about Jesus, and they were troubled by what they were hearing, so they made a five-day journey up to Galilee to hear him teach. And they got up there, and they saw him do the miracles, and... Cast out demons and people who were previously unable to function are now fine and they're healed. And their solution is, this man is possessed by the devil. They think he's possessed. And Jesus has a long counter to that here, in which he says, that just makes no sense at all. And then he warns them, don't attribute the works of God to the devil. Because if you say of the work of God that it's of the devil, if you discount the work of God in your life, how will you ever come to a position of believing in him and repenting? Therefore, it's an unforgivable sin to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit and to discard those things that the Holy Spirit's doing in your life and in the life of your family. You don't want to do that. It seals your fate to attribute the works of God to the devil. And that's what these authorities were doing. The family has a different solution. They think it's his glucose level. He needs some sugar. He needs caffeine. He hasn't been by Starbucks. He's been locked up in the house. He needs some food. That's their solution. That's why they think he's acting strangely. And so they plan an intervention. The family plans an intervention. They're going to do something that Jesus has not requested of them, but they have observed his strange behavior. So they're going to show up, get their hands on him, and haul him back home and feed him and get him some rest, all right? That's their plan, really. That's what they're planning to do. We're going to take charge of him, is what the text says. We're going to lay hold of him and carry him off. In extreme circumstances... There are people that you love that may need an intervention. It's not easy to do. I have participated in numerous interventions where we went to the person and we said, "You're acting strangely, you're not behaving appropriately. We want you to go see a doctor." And sometimes they refuse to see a doctor. And so we called the authorities and had them hold to the doctor. All right? If you do that kind of intervention, it is very emotional. I got w- done with one of those interventions like that after we put the person in jail, and he looked through the little window, and he said, when I get out of here, I'm going to kill you. Well, that wasn't good news to me. Uh, he never did that, obviously. But uh, we had to do something, you know. Somebody needs to do something. Jesus is acting strangely. And so the family gets together the four brothers and... The mother and they go down there and they're going to take charge of him now there are other interventions that we need to be willing to do that may not be as dramatic as an incarceration or a forced trip to the doctor but we still need to feel empowered as brothers and sisters to ask the hard questions because if we don't do it who will And that's what an intervention is all about. Not being invited, but going to the person that you love, blood kin or faith kin, and saying to them, this looks like dangerous behavior to me. Why are you doing it? This is what I'll say to you. Families show up. Families show up. If you've got a blood family, you need to show up. And you've got a church family. You've got brothers and sisters in the faith and men and women, we got to show up. When there's a problem, we need to be there. We need to be ready to help. We need to render aid. Families show up. Now, this is an awkward moment. Jesus is a very popular preacher. There are 12 guys sitting at his feet, all of whom just dropped whatever they were doing and said, we'll follow you to the end of the earth. They changed their whole life. And now someone comes in with a message from outside. Somebody's waiting outside. Who is that? It's his mom. They want him to come outside. We're waiting on him. What's the problem? They think he's crazy. Well, that's not good news for somebody who just left the fishing business, you know. What is this? What's happening? The family traveled 30 miles from Nazareth all the way up to the northern part of the Sea of Galilee in order to encounter this family member. Now, it's disruptive when somebody in your family gets sick. It's inconvenient when a death occurs in your family. And very often someone will say to me, do you think I should go? do you think I should go look what's happened with Jesus up there do you think I should go and the answer for Mary and the brothers were yes we're gonna go we're gonna go take care of Jesus it's our job who else is going to do it and so they went up there and my default answer would be if you feel a tug on your heart you go ahead and go. I decided I was too busy to go to my grandfather's funeral. It was too far. I had too many things to do. And I didn't go to my grandfather Reith Miller's funeral. Yes, he was grandfather Reith Miller. And I didn't go to my grandmother's funeral on that side of the family. And every time I went back to visit, I thought, what was so important in my life as a young adult that I couldn't make it to the funeral? What was going on? I wish I'd have been there. That may happen to you. Don't check out of your family. Part of what it means to be family is that family shows up. Sometimes they show up uninvited, like what happened here. You may be worried that, well, it could be an unnecessary trip. I mean, she's probably going to get better, right? I mean, she's in ICU right now, but by the time we get there, she may be going home. It's Sort of like these brothers and Jesus um, and Mary experienced with Jesus, right? They, they showed up to take care of Jesus, and when they got there, he really didn't need taking care of, did he? It was sort of an unnecessary trip. Jesus is neither possessed nor is he insane. He has all his faculties. He is under the mandate of a great calling from God, and his behavior is strange because he's living out his calling that God has given him to do. So it's sort of an unnecessary trip, but here's what I think. If I was his mom, I'd, I'd rather go make the trip, make sure he's all right, and then come back home and say, "Well, I really need to go than not go and experience the regret of it. Now, brothers and sisters, deacons and pastors. As spiritual family, we must show up. We got to show up. Sometimes that means going uninvited. Sometimes that means initiating a conversation that is difficult with somebody beside you in the pew or somebody in the circle in that small group, but we got to show up. How can we be family if we don't show up? Jesus said, I'm initiating a new order in the world. I'm creating my church. I'm making the church. It's going to be a a whole new dimension of living on the planet. And the church is so important, I'm going to lay down my life for her. I love this church. And you are brothers and sisters in the body of the church. And so you love one another as I have loved you. That's how you love one another. So I hope you will determine, as you look at this text and you hear what spiritual family meant to Jesus, I hope you will determine, Lord, help me really be part of the family. Let me be part of this small group. I saw it so beautifully demonstrated in one of our small groups this week when we had a surgery over at Oxnard, And I mean, that small group could have had a meeting at the surgery, Center in the waiting room because they were all there caring for that family and looking over them and it was a blessing to me to see that happen. That doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen without cost. Sometimes it's inconvenient, but family shows up. And I would challenge you as a small group leader and as a member of a small group, if you feel like your small group's not showing up, do something about it, would you please? Would you take the initiative to say, hey, let's be family in this group. Let's care for one another. I know a need that needs addressed. Let's see how we can meet it. And there are many of you that are doing that, and I'm so grateful for you. And if you feel it's not happening, would you shore it up? Would you get involved? Would you get your hands dirty? Would you give some leadership? Would you be the brother, or the sister in that group that says, look, we need to do better on this, okay? So let's get ourselves organized. Let's cover the bases. Let's make sure that we show up when the family needs us this thing about Jesus being out of his mind it's not the only time that happens I know somebody following Jesus and I sat down elbow to elbow with him at the meal on Monday and he turned to me and said in a couple months my wife and me and the kids were we're going to Ethiopia we're going to be missionaries in Ethiopia. You know, little, little children. If you're from Ethiopia, that might sound like a good idea. But if you're the grandparent of these little kids, you might want to bop him on the head. You might as well wait, wait a minute. What, in the, what do you do? You can't take these children to Ethiopia. And sometimes the word crazy has been used to describe people who were seeking to follow a genuine call of God and express it in their life. I think about Dr. Martin Luther King. You think his family ever said to him, are you crazy? They're going to kill you. Have you lost your mind, Martin? Did you ever hear anybody say, That Martin Luther King, he's possessed. He's of the devil. He's trying to destroy our country. I was about this tall when he was making waves in this country. And all unapologetically, I want to tell you, this man had the courage to speak up against an injustice that had reigned in this country for hundreds of years the dehumanizing of a whole race of people who were never allowed in to fully participate in the promise of America. And he said, this cannot be. This needs to change. And he raised his voice, and it made some people so mad they wanted to kill him. And others thought he was crazy. But in the end, he achieved a change in this culture that we needed to make and today we celebrate it and the first black president is going to leave office this week after eight years in office can you imagine I am grateful for the prophetic role of Martin Luther King bringing yes I mean he brought a truth front and center that we needed to hear and many of us were little so it was our culture that needed to hear it but if you are a prophet if you seek to do God's will if you have a burning message in your heart and you're going you're gonna to go change things somebody's going to say have you lost your mind you can make a million dollars doing this other thing you're going to go to Ethiopia what's wrong with you some people will say it's a spiritual malady. Some people will say it's a mental malady. And all you're doing is saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. Wait a minute. you going to follow that guy that ended up naked and dead on a cross? you going to follow him? Are you going to follow him? You want to sit in the prettiest place and have all the most... <laughs> All the comforts, that might not be the best idea, is to follow this Messiah who died naked on a cross, who says to you, You wanna follow me? You deny yourself. You take up your cross daily. That's how you follow me. He laid down his life, he just laid it down. Why? On our behalf because he loves us how do you follow that? you lay down your life on behalf of others because he loves you and you love them and him and that's the call he gives us to live beyond yourself your own self-interest your own goals your own notions of how things ought to be And to surrender your heart, soul, and mind to the one who is Lord. If you say, Jesus is Lord today, I don't know what it will cost you. But it really doesn't matter. The only way you come to him is to say, Jesus is Lord. I'm a mess. I need forgiven. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Lord Jesus, come into this wrecked life of mine and forgive me and make me new and you just surrender it you give it to him and the amazing thing is when you give it all to him he gives himself to you and you have a life exchange a life for a life the life I now live Paul said I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So you don't count the cost anymore because Jesus paid it all. Bow with me, please. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, as you bow your head and close your eyes, would you just say a prayer unto him? Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Please forgive me. And I receive you as my Lord. Would you trust him in this moment? Whatever he says to you, do it in this time of response. Lord, we pray that you will do your work in us right now. We open our hearts to you. We want to hear from you. And we want to listen. We want to understand. We want to obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.